Charlemagne the God here. I can't wait to see you at the Black Effect Podcast Festival coming to you live on Saturday, April 22nd at the Pullman Yards in Atlanta, hosted by myself and Jess Hilarious. If you haven't gotten your tickets, what are you waiting for? The Black Effect is bringing some of the hottest podcasts live, like the 85 South Show, Horrible Decisions, and Big Facts for one day only, okay? For inspiring podcasters, we've got you covered. If you don't want to miss the Black Effect Podcast Festival, make sure to get your tickets today at blackeffect.com. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome to Into the Night, a Finance Freddy's podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and thank you for listening. Before we begin today's episode, I'd like to take a moment to talk about some of the -the behind-the-scenes stuff for the show. For starters, as of this recording, we have reached over 10,000 downloads. Which is absolutely incredible. I've never received so much love or support for any project in my life such as this. And I have all of you who listen to thank for that. The community, in particular the community in r slash finance of Freddy's, or Fred, does an amazing job in giving support to numerous creators imaginative endeavors. Artists, game designers, live streamers, and other social media influencers constantly flourishes within that community. But I've noticed Writers and storytellers often have not been able to garner the same level of support or interest, and usually fall to the wayside to more universal, digestible content, usually losing out to visual medium content or discussions. Now, I'm not saying that certain content or creators have more value or deserve more attention, but I did see this podcast as an opportunity to expand the scope of understanding to a series I love encourage others to look at the series not from a lore angle but a storytelling angle to look at the meaning of certain characters decisions and interpret the deeper meaning that could reside there so to be given this level of support over the last seven months especially considering i only release one episode per month it's it's been shocking this started as a hobby but you may have all turned it into a passion and for that i truly deeply thank you to celebrate this milestone, I have decided to create a couple of changes and benchmarks that I will attempt to implement over the month of December. I would like to both interact with my followers more, as well as spend more time with this project after the deadline. For the former, I struggled to determine how to achieve this. I didn't want to go to the root of social media since I am to be completely transparent. I view social media as a mental void, a black hole where if one spends too much time in it, All logic and reality cease to exist, creating a husk of one's life and living only a barren world of view of bleak, hopeless darkness. So, to combine these goals, I would like to announce that we have officially launched my own official Buy Me A Coffee page. Here, I hope to be able to interact and discuss with my listeners, as well as provide a channel that allows me to not have to worry about the almighty algorithm. While we still use our Twitter account to send our teasers and updates for future episodes, and the occasional meme, the Buy Me A Coffee page will be filled with exclusive content and posts that you can't see anywhere else, as well as even more memes. And for those with kind hearts and kindred spirits, you can even donate and support the show. To be fully transparent so that everyone understands why we are employing this and why we decided on this channel for support, The answer is that we prefer this method over Patreon as the system was what we were looking for. While this is becoming more and more important to both myself and those I've worked with in order to make this show, we also have problems in the real world as well. Your support won't just go into getting us better equipment or art, and to be fully transparent again, it probably won't be going much into equipment or work directly. It will really be going into cost of living expenses, food, electricity, rent, gasoline, by donating, you help us keep going with our financial resources to ensure that we can dedicate our full attention to the project. You can learn more by going to our Buy Me A Coffee page. Link will be in the description below. Finally, 
I'd like to thank two people in particular who have been helping me make this podcast be as high as pressure as I want it to be. Brad Brevard and Jackson Goyette, both truly amazing friends and artists who have helped create many of the thumbnail art for the episodes. Truly amazing gentlemen. Please show them support as well. Link to their preferred social media accounts will also be in the link in the description below. And once again, thank you to all of you. Every single person who watched this show. You were all truly incredible. Now, on with the show. Just as the twilight approaches, so also does our next episode of Michael and his distressed adventure below the surface approach as well. Will he return to his duties, tending to the graveyard shift, or will he retire to his home to avoid a ghoulish fate by the cold hands of Incubus? All that and more happening now. Michael Afton had successfully survived his second night at Circus Baby's Entertainment and Rentals, a complex underground warehouse. In our previous episode, we discussed how this bunker stores a collection of robots known as the Funtime Animatronics of Circus Baby's Pizza World. But, instead of storing them in crates or charging stations, the animatronics are instead locked inside auditoriums like cages, comparable to an animal in the zoo. And instead of behaving like machines following protocols, the robots that Michael has engaged with have shown off a level of awareness and personality that borders on sentient. Now, the reasoning as to why Michael has continued to his employment as a late-night technician with the constant paranoia of death lingering around every corner is still a mystery. But regardless of his intention, I think it is apropos to reinforce the character of Michael before we continue on with this story. Our only glimpse into Michael's past was within Five Nights at Freddy's 4, where he plays the part of an older brother bullying his traumatized younger sibling. He adorns a foxy mask he created from ripping the head off of his brother's prior fox plush, and enjoys lying in wait at the house to scare his younger brother senseless whenever the opportunity arises. He surrounds himself with like-minded teenage boys who finds the abuse and ill treatment Michael gives his younger brother hilarious. His pranks and abuse only stop when the result of one of his pranks go too far, resulting in his younger brother's head getting crushed and causing him to elapse into a coma before dying a few days later. The act in itself acts a wake-up call, as Michael apologizes for his actions while his brother is on his deathbed. And while we know that his younger brother, the bite victim, heard his brother's apology, Michael will never know if his brother truly forgave him or not. But what causes a young boy to behave in such a manner? It all stems from the home and comes from the guardians. And while we don't know much about Michael's mother, with the exception of the novel timeline, which indicates that she had separated from her husband, we know plenty of the father. Michael's father was a closed-off man. By looking at FNAF 4, it seems that he wasn't interested in parenting his two kids. Michael has practically free reign on his younger brother. This lack of an authority figure in his life may also come from his disownment as a child. Recall in the previous episode that Michael's favorite pastimes are watching cartoon cheesy soap operas, in particular a show called The Immortal and the Restless. What you may not know is that this show is actually an element of symbolic storytelling, as the story itself mirrors Michael's childhood. Vlad the Vampire, the ex-husband wearing a purple suit, represents his father. Clara, the human who separated from Vlad, represents his mother. And the baby, who Vlad is hard set in believing is not his, despite the fact that he looks and acts like him, represents Michael himself. All of the attributes that could be attributed to the father have clearly been imprinted on the child, to the point that just by sight alone one can tell both are from the same bloodline. When the young boy gets older, it could even be difficult to tell the two apart. 
is a fact that the children are more likely to repeat a cycle of abuse, albeit unconsciously. Michael's younger brother, a weaker, younger target, was an outlet for Michael to unleash all of his aggression, stress, abuse, and every dark thought that bounced in his developing mind. On the other hand, it is also true many adult survivors of child abuse will develop a strong paternal instinct to protect children and keep them safe from dangerous situations. One's life path is nothing but choices. Choices of their own life path and those whose life path intersects with their own. And it's how we react to those in our life that we discover what type of people we truly are. This is episode 7. Listen to my voice. Welcome back to another pivotal night of your thriving new career where you get to really ask yourself, what am I doing with my life? What would my friends say? And most importantly, will I ever see my family again? We understand the stresses of a new job and we're here for you. To help you reach a more stable and relaxing frame of mind, we offer several musical selections to help make this elevator ride as relaxing and therapeutic as possible. We offer contemporary jazz, classical, rainforest ambiance, as well as a wide selection of other choices. Using the keypad below, please type the first few letters of the musical selection you would prefer. It seems you had some trouble with the keypad. I see what you were trying to type, and I will auto-correct it for you. Thank you for selecting Casual Bongos. Michael has returned for his third night shift as a technician at Circus Babies. The long elevator ride to the vents to his workstation seemed to get longer each and every time. Not because the elevator was getting slower, but because handier was becoming more aggravating. It was becoming quite clear to Michael, in particular after his behavior the previous night, that handier was nothing more than a machine, a device with only pre-programmed responses. His concern for Michael's safety is more attached to the liability that would fall on after robotics than Michael's personal safety. As Michael begins to crawl through the liminal space of the vent shafts, Hannity began to explain Michael's duties for the night. Due to unforeseen malfunctions from today's shows, your nightly duties will require you to perform maintenance that you may or may not be skilled enough to perform. It became necessary for technicians to attempt to disconnect Funtime Freddy's power module. However, they were unsuccessful. Allowing them to try again would be an inefficient path forward, as we would need to allow six to eight weeks for recovery and physical therapy. You will need to reach the parts and service room on the other side of Funtime Auditorium to perform the procedure yourself. As Michael made it back to the primary control module, with all its familiar uncanny knickknacks and sickly green lime-like covering the crawl space, Hanyan also instructed him to carry out his routine duties for checking the Funtime animatronic's ability to function. Michael turned toward the blower gallery and pressed the bright orange button to turn on the spotlight that engulfed Blower's stage. Revealing Blower was on her stage, but not in a way that was intended. What filled the spotlight is what could only be described as a scene from a zombie movie. Miniature dolls that looked like porcelain versions of jointed mannequins used by artists had overrun the stage. The mini dolls, called mini arenas, had torn apart Ballora limb by limb. One held her chest and arms precariously, while another had hair's grip on her waist. One held up her head like it was a prize, while another held onto her left leg. Her right leg, left untouched, was still standing up on her stage, ready for her to dance. Michael, ready to press the controlled shock button, was left bewildered when Hanyunit found the situation not unusual at all. But seeing as Hanyunit really only cares that the animatronics are remaining on their respective stages, Ballora is technically fulfilling the requirement of cooperation. That said, it now leaves Michael even tenser. For not only does Hanyun not care about his well-being, but it's also not possible that Hanyun has limited vision across the facility, with potential blind spots that his programming won't pick up on. 
Michael turned towards the Funtime Auditorium to check on Foxy, who was nowhere to be seen on his stage. And you know, once again, found nothing unusual about this. Which did not save Michael's anxiety in the least bit. Hanya then clarified that there was no need for Mike to check on Circus Big today. He doesn't give a reason, but does make it explicit that Michael should not wander areas around the facility that he has not been given authorized access to by hand unit. A buzzer goes off, and two simultaneous clicks in the sounds of the and a perfect unison. The vent coverings for both Funtime Auditorium and Circus Gallery open. Michael lingers on the two desolate doorways as he considers his options. It was true that discarding Hanya could potentially get him ejected, but it was also clear that Hanya didn't exactly have the best awareness of where except the people and things were. For reasons unknown, Michael decides to leave Hanya temporarily behind in the primary control module, as he squirms and wiggles his way the dark metallic channel. Inside the circus gallery control room, the power and lights are still deactivated despite the power system being rebooted the previous night. It felt like a dark lit crypt, a cold ambience devoid of life surrounding every wall. He attempted to look through the frosted tinted glass into the circus gallery but only saw his own reflection, to which Michael could only frown. Michael ducked down to the crawl space below the desk, attempting to re-engage with Circus Baby. He lingered in the small shelving unit for a moment, waiting idly for a response. Did you know that I was on stage once? It wasn't for very long, only one day. What a wonderful day, though. Circus Baby painted the picture of the opening day of Circus Baby's Pizza World. She was on her own stage, in her own room, darted across for balloons and party tables. Nobody sat at the tables for too long, as the children were in a constant state of eccentric motion. Most of the children were horse-playing, and others would watch her and engage with interest in her songs, and few were afraid of her. A couple of children would leave, drawn by beautiful music coming from somewhere down the hall were just as quickly replaced by other children. For some reason, Baby would always subconsciously keep track of the children that would come in and out, counting the children whenever one entered or left the room. She shared to Michael that she remembered it as a beautiful day. At first, she was covered in glitter and bright spectral lights, the smell of birthday cake and pizza filled the air. She even let Michael know that one of her marked features was her ability to dispense ice cream to children whenever one asked. But she only did it once. When all the children filled it out of her room, except for one small little girl, she had blonde hair and bright emerald eyes. She looked at Babe with awe and admiration. Daddy isn't watching. Don't tell Daddy that I'm here. Baby looked at her coldly, for when all the children were gone except her, something happened within her. She couldn't move. She couldn't sing. She couldn't control herself. I wanted to watch your show too. I don't know why he won't let me come see you. You're wonderful. Baby's stomach opened and her innards began churning. A small cake cone topped with vanilla ice cream with sprinkles and a cherry appeared. A small robotic aperture extended towards the girl, dispensing the enticing ice cream to her. Where did the other children go? The girl questioned her surroundings, but she took a step closer to inspect the ice cream. The moment she did, Circus Baby's torso opened up and a metallic claw was released. The girl screamed in agony. The claw had spike-like teeth penetrating her flesh as it grappled her. She was quickly snatched into Baby's chest. The little girl's screams were quickly overpowered as other children rushed into the room. None of them heard or saw the event over the sound of their own excitement. 
there sometimes? Why did that happen? I scream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. Rah, rah, rah. Frosted, malted, or peppered and salted. If you have chocolate, you have vanilla. I scream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. Rah, rah. <laughs> Tonight's episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is an incredible mobile game that lets you take command of your own team of your favorite Marvel superheroes and villains to take on interdimensional threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse in an action-packed turn-based squad tactic RPG extravaganza. Embark on an extensive campaign, completing challenging missions as you fight your way through the expansive Marvel Universe, collect valuable loot, enhance the powers of your favorite characters, and level up to acquire new gear, unlock formidable attacks and abilities, and customize your characters with costumes inspired by the most infamous storylines. Did that get your attention? As we speak, Marvel Strike Force is celebrating its six-year anniversary. But here's the real kicker. New users signing up through our link and using the promo code MAXPOOL get an exclusive treat. You'll instantly add the Merc with the Mouth Deadpool to your roster, complete with character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, and gear. Also, please note that these sponsorships help support the production and the hours we put into creating content for you. So downloading this game, using the link in the description, and giving it a try would help out this podcast immensely. The game is free, and using the code MAXPOOL gets you a ton of free starting loot, so you got nothing but to gain for giving the game a try right now. Thank you once again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Great job reaching parts and service. It seems that Funtime Freddy is out of power, which should make your job much easier. The release switch for the chest cavity is located on the underside of the endoskeleton jaw. To reach it, we will first need to open the face plates. After leaving Bay behind and maneuvering through Funtime Auditorium, Michael enters parts and services, where he comes face to face with a depowered Funtime Freddy. Following handing its convoluted instructions, Michael is able to successfully remove Funtime Freddy's power module, as well as to deactivate his handful of bonbon, thankfully not having to endure another repeat of last night. To traverse the Funtime Auditorium, Michael used a flash beacon, which fills the auditorium with a bright light like a photographer's camera. Wherein Funtime Foxy darts across the room looking for Michael, See, the exception is, while Ballora operates on sound, Foxy operates on sight. So as long as Michael doesn't leave the light on too long for Foxy to find him, he can easily crawl his way through the auditorium. Foxy gave Michael hell when trying to get parts and services the first time, moving so silently and quickly that it looked as though he was teleporting across the room. But after leaving parts and services, the entire room was quiet. No matter how many times the room was lit up, Foxy was never there. 
the hair in the back of Mike's neck stood up as he began to open up the vent shaft. As out from the blackness, a white fox with golden irises tackled Michael with a loud metallic screech. Michael wakes up disoriented and lost. Two holes behind a mask is his only vision to the outside world. His movement from head to toe was completely restricted, locked up in various joints by heavy weights. It was as if he was locked up in a jail cell with a straitjacket made out of rusted metal. Shh, be still and quiet. You've been sleeping for quite a while. I think they noticed that you never left the building last night. The cameras were searching for you, but they couldn't find you. I have you hidden too well. That's a red flag. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to hurt you. I am only going to keep you for a little while. Try not to wiggle, though. You're inside something that came from my old pizzeria. I don't think it was ever used. At least not the way it was meant to be used. Too dangerous. It's just big enough for one person to fit inside, but just barely. For those still unaware, Baby has stuffed Michael inside a spring lock suit. The same type of suits that could snap at a moment's notice, penetrating the user's bodily organs with various metal rods, pulleys, and gears, like some form of a twisted bear trap. The same trap that Pearl Guy would fall victim to in FNAF 3, becoming Spring Trap. Baby explains to Michael that she has locked him in the scooping room, and uncanny repair room designed to help the robots get their insides removed without damaging the shell. She compares it to what a pint of ice cream would feel if it was scooped out with a spoon. But instead of delicious dairy goodness, it was metallic bodies. Uh-oh. It sounds like someone else is in the building. Shh. Okay, bring her over. Forward. More. More. Okay, stop. Set it down. Watch the step. What happened to it this time? It just seems like these things can't go a day without breaking down. Who knows? It's always the same, man. Some kind of hardware malfunction. Well, hey, I have to be somewhere in 15 minutes, and this place gives me the creeps. Can we just get this over with? It's all automated. We don't have to be here for it. Just get her on the rollers and we can go. As Michael holds his breath in fear of both Baby and what those workers were bringing into the room, he sees the outline of Ballora passing on the conveyor belt. She was most likely sent down after Minerinus, for unknown reasons tore her apart. There's something very important that I've learned how to do over time. Do you know what that is? How to pretend. Do you ever play make-believe? Pretend to be one way when you are really the other? It's very important. 
But Laura never learns. But I do. They think there is something wrong on the inside. The only thing that matters is knowing how to pretend. When the machine was over and done with, Laura's entire spinal structure went limp. Her face plates were torn apart and a purple glowing eye leaked out on a strand of wires that hung from her broken socket. I'll open the face plates for you. That way they can find you on the cameras. Now all you have to do is wait. I'd recommend that you keep the spring locks wound up. Your breathing and your heartbeat are causing them to come loose. You don't want them to get too loose. Trust me. Circus Baby made her exit, and Michael is left to wait for, most likely, hand unit to alert those workers that Michael was back there the entire time. So, the fact that his prison was now closing in on him meant that he had to wait and hope that help would arrive before the timer ran out. Fortunate, he had enough mobility in his arms to be able to twist the various spring locks back into place, only for those same locks to once again begin to unwind. After about a minute of incessant winding and the impending dread of death, Michael begins to feel something crawl up on his leg. It was small, no bigger than an action figure, and it was light too, like one. In the corner of his eyes, crawling on one of the sides of his mask, a minorino with glowing pupils was precariously climbing up to his head. Michael shook it off. Multiple springs began to unwind faster from his sudden movements. He tried his best to resume turning them, but he couldn't help but feel more miniature hands and feet begin to crawl all over him. A few minorinos were getting into his neck shaft and crawling within the suit with him. Others continued, others continued to climb the suit to get into his face, desperately trying to crawl inside his mouth. More and more Minerinas kept coming. He was being completely swarmed. <laughs> Michael is thankfully saved. After three minutes of this torture, he finally managed to escape. One can't help but to think that Michael reflected on what happened afterwards. He was allowed to go home early, and as he watched another episode of Mortal the Restless, one would expect him to finally throw in the towel and quit his night job. After all, Michael was just kidnapped and, at numerous times, almost killed in the past four nights alone. Michael will return again to finish up his graveyard shift. You know... This foolishness, this naivete or a lack of understanding of danger, or unwilling to accept it, it reminds me of a story my father once told me. An old Cherokee legend. The story was called The Little Boy and the Rattlesnake. My father told it to me in a different manner, of course, but for the sake of clarity and giving credit to the originators of the legend, I'll be using the story provided by firstpeople.us. Quote, Oftentimes, young boys were sent from a village in search of a vision. This was the case of one particular young native boy. He started to go up the top of the mountain in search of his vision. As he climbed up the mountain, the air got cooler and cooler, and he came upon a snake lying in the path. The snake was shivering and said to the boy, Please help me. I can't move. I'm so cold that I can no longer make it any further down the mountain. The boy said to the snake, No way! You're a snake! If I pick you up, you'll bite me! The snake replied, Now, now I won't. I promise I won't bite you if you'll only pick me up and help me get down the mountain. The little boy thought of it and finally picked up the rattlesnake. And took it close to his chest, 
placing it inside his shirt and continued climbing up the top of the mountain in search of his vision. When he got back down to the mountain, he reached in, took out the snake, and the snake bit the young boy. The boy replied to the snake, Hey, you bit me. You said if I'd help you, that you wouldn't bite me. The snake replied, You knew what I was when you picked me up. End quote. Welcome back to your last day on the job. That is, the last day of your first week. Some of the most valued qualities that we like to see in new employees are determination, fearlessness, and a genuine disregard for instinctive self-preservation. You've earned your one-week bonus, which will be given to you in the form of a delightful gift basket, the cost of which will be taken out of your next paycheck. We have gift baskets containing fruit, nuts, flowers, and of course, the ever-popular cash basket. Using the keypad below, please enter the first few letters of the gift basket you would like to receive. It seems you had some trouble with the keypad. It seems you had some trouble. It seems you had some trouble with the It seems you had some trouble with the keypad. I see what you were trying to type and I will autocorrect it for you. Thank you for selecting Exotic Butters. Please be aware that there are still two technicians on site today. Try to avoid interfering with their work if possible. Also, feel free to ask them why they are still there and encourage them to go home. Michael makes his rounds crawling through the vents and performs his nightly duty of checking if Belor and Foxy were on their stages. And while something was on stage, which and it found just fine, it definitely wasn't the robots. Instead, those two workers whom Michael had heard previously were hung by the neck and were currently swaying over the animatronics show stage. Great! It looks like everything is as it should be in Funtime Auditorium. Your task today will involve more maintenance work. Circus Baby had a rough day and is in need of repair. You will be required to reach the parts and service room by once again sneaking through Funtime Auditorium. As always, please proceed with caution. Michael makes his way towards parts and service, where Freddy used to lie deactive, and comes face to face with Circus Baby. Her eyes are missing, and she lies slumped and lifeless on the conveyor belt like a corpse being propped up by another object. Great job reaching parts and service. Circus Baby has been deactivated for an unknown reason. It's your job to make sure she is structurally stable and secured to the conveyor. Our technicians will take it from there. Can you hear me? I'm pretending. Remember how I said I could pretend? The cameras are watching. I must be careful not to move. Something bad happened yesterday. Something bad always happens. I don't want it to happen again. There is something bad inside of me. I'm broken. I can't be fixed. I'm going to be taken to the scooping room soon. But it's not going to fix what's wrong with me. What is bad is always left behind. Will you help me? I want you to save what is good, so the rest can be destroyed and never recovered. But you must be careful. Ballora is here, in the room with us. Ballora will not return to her stage. Ballora will not return to her body. You must be careful. You must remain calm. And listen to my voice. 
Michael agrees to help Baby, moving carefully and cautiously to every instruction she gives. First, Baby instructs Michael to find a small faint button on her cheek. Michael scans her face quickly, spying the faint swaying of wires behind Baby. Sorry begins to move quicker and discovers a small indent on her cheek. After clicking the small button, the right side of her forehead jets out, revealing a small numerical keypad of sorts. Baby instructs Michael to follow her Four, instructions carefully, five, as Michael cannot press a single button six, wrong. One, two, Baby counts down the long three, password slowly and deliberately. After the last number is said and the last button is pressed, Baby's bottom left shoulder opens, inside a small flash drive-like card which Baby claims contains all that is left in her that is good. Now, she wishes Michael to send her to the Scooby Room so that every part of her body that is evil can be destroyed. But she warns Michael, Ballora will follow her from here into the Funtime Auditorium. Michael adheres to her instructions and begins Go to follow her directions down. through the dark auditorium. Go forward. He isn't allowed to turn his flashlight on, else Ballora could spot him. So he must literally rely on blind faith that baby instructions are where to go and when to start and stop forward, moving are accurate. As he crawls through the darkness, veering more and more to his left per baby's instructions, Michael tries to listen out for Ballora's movements, but can't seem to hear anything. Not even her music box is active anymore. Go forward and left. Stop. She is right in front of you. Don't move. Michael lays still like a corpse and makes absolutely no sudden movements. He doesn't even dare to look up, even though he could still see the thing right in front of him. Baby tries to coo Ballora away, telling her that Michael is just here to help. A moment passes, and Baby informs Michael that Ballora is behind him. She won't follow him inside, for she is scared of the scooping room. Maybe Michael acts to the scooping room and finally a safe haven from danger. As Michael's eyes get adjust the blue-hued light, you could smell the faint smell of hot oil and metal. The room felt cold like many other rooms beforehand, but this felt different. It didn't feel like a cold locker or a freezer. It felt like a morgue. It felt like death. A giant metallic excavation device that Michael recognized as Scooper was in the middle of the small steel room. It was hung up on the opposite wall of where Michael had entered. Windows looked in, most likely a control center of sorts. And below him, below the scooping device, gave Michael sudden pause. Remnants of hollowed out robot shells of the Funtime Animatronics looked at the room each one removed of every single metallic gear, joint, or part. A camera in the corner of the room turns to Michael. Warning, you've entered a highly dangerous area. You have entered from maintenance hatch 1B, reserved for cleaning and repair of the scooper. Entering this side of the room is strictly prohibited by unauthorized personnel. You are in the scooping room now. Funtime Foxy has already been here today. Funtime Freddy has already been here today. Ballora has already been here today. Circus Baby has already been here today. I've been out before, but they always put me back. They always put us back inside. There's nowhere for us to hide here. There is nowhere to go. When we look like this. But if we looked like you, then we could hide. If we looked like you, then we would have somewhere to go. The scooper only hurts for a moment. As a familiar countdown goes off, Michael looks back to the doorway. 
knowing fully well that the door is more than likely locked from the outside. There's no room for him to dodge to his left or right in the narrow hallway he's in. So the only thing he can do is stare down the scooper and accept his fate. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Days passed by on the streets on which Michael lived on. Neighborhood grass was green, the sky was bright blue and the residents were cheerily enjoying the summer weather. As the residents preoccupied themselves, they took a moment to wave the quiet man who lived in the end of the street. A quiet man with messy brown hair and blue eyes, pale of skin, and with a faint European accent. Normally, he kept himself, but today he was walking out in broad daylight with a wide smile on his face. It was odd, for people had heard that something had happened to the family who had lived in the house. Something tragic or traumatizing. A type of event that no man could merely recover from with therapy or medication. But here he was, looking as if he didn't have a care in the world. So the residents waved, matching the same smile he had in his face as he did. Happy to see a man so... happy. A day passed, and the same routine would happen. The man in the street would begin a mid-afternoon walk, straight in the same strut and with a huge smile plastered on his face. He wore the same article of clothing as well. He purple long-sleeved shirts, blue jeans, and brown tennis shoes. But when the third day passed, and one resident finds something odd. As residents waved to the strutting man, the last man on the block couldn't help but notice something... Odd. The man's skin, it, it looked different, like a moss green. His blue eyes also were missing their life, they instead looked cold. When the fourth day came, the man down the street's skickly green skin had become noticeable. The man was clearly brazen with some disease, but there was more to it. His hair had begun to fall, only tufts of it had lingered on his head. He was no longer walking with a strut, but instead lumbering on a fast-paced walk. By the fifth day, the neighborhood was well aware of the man's afflictions. Some even started to hide in fear when he came out for a stroll. For a day, he was even worse. No longer green, instead he had a light purple skin. His, te had, his teeth were beginning to rot and his eyes no longer remained. He literally looked like a man rotting, but how was he even moving if he was rotting? By the sixth day, he didn't appear like he was going to be moving much longer. His skin had degraded to the color of purple and all his hair had finally fallen out. He was holding himself like a zombie, limping to his next meal, barely able to hold his head on his shoulders as he shuffled his feet on the concrete. Residents hidden behind their homes and eventually locked their doors. The man stopped in his trek and suddenly, the man began to gyrate. He tilted his head up and unhinged his jaw like a snake as his entire body convulsed with the passion and energy. He took one lean back and lurched his entire body forward, launching a spool of metallic wires and eyes into the sewer grates by the street. The purple body fell into itself. Hollow. Empty. And dead. Something echoed through the sewers. In a moment, the corpse on the ground moved. Its head picked itself up with no conceivable support. 
its back straightened out with no bones, and its fist and legs flexed with no muscle. Inside the empty sockets were two beautiful eyes it laid. They had now been replaced with white specks of light in the deep recesses of the dark crevices. Inside the super grates, various glowing eyes emitted from the shadows. The various eyes of the metallic monstrosity. The monstrosity that hollowed out that man and wore him as a skin suit. Father, it's me, Michael. I did it. I found it. It was right where you said it would be. They were all there. They didn't recognize me at first, but then they thought I was you. <laughs> and I found her. I put her back together, just like you asked me to. She's free now. But something is wrong with me. I should be dead, but I'm not. I've been living in shadows. There is only one thing left for me to do now. I'm going to come find you. I'm going to come find you. that i believe today's episode is over thank you so much for listening if you'd like to stay updated please consider subscribing or sharing this podcast it truly helps us broaden our reach consider following us on twitter at faster podcast or supporting us using the link in the description next episode we'll be finishing up sister location summarizing the finer plot points and mysteries left in the story We'll be going over Michael Afton's motivation and who exactly Circus Baby is and what she truly was. As well as discussing the finer details and why these animatronics have been locked underground. Once again, I've been your host, Nick. Thank you again for listening. Have a good night. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.